Well, good morning, Clovis Hills. And good morning to all who are joining us uh, all over the internet and, and our sister churches. Uh, it's going to be a great day today. Before I get started into the message, uh, behind the scenes, I've been working with the stewardship ministry, and uh, we've come to a decision. We're, we're moving to a different uh, curriculum, I guess you would say. Uh, starting on March 28th, we're going to start offering uh, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University here. And there's a whole, yeah, that's a great thing. And I just want to tell you, I, I'm still kind of the facilitator, but Dave Ramsey teaches that by uh, video. And so uh, I invite you all, it's very powerful. And one of the reasons we started offering it is that a lot of our people were going to other places, other churches, taking the course and coming back uh, revived. And so we thought, why are we fighting this? Uh, God's using him. Now today we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's one of the two things that Jesus gave us that are participatory pictures. They're reminders, but they require us to uh, not just be reminded, but to act, to do something, to indicate where we're at with it. The, the, the first one is baptism, which is over here. We're going to have two baptisms after the service today. We had six last week. And baptism is equivalent to, in Christian terms, your wedding service. It's the once-only ordinance. It's when you give your life to Christ, then this, this ordinance points you back to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And you identify with, and you say, I, I'm accepting Christ's death, burial, and resurrection into my life, and I want to live a new life for the rest of my life. So it's a, it's a public way of pronouncing your faith to the world. It's like a wedding service. The Lord's Supper service is something that Jesus took, and, and uh, he actually, on the very last uh, dinner or supper of his life, he took what had been for, uh, you know, over a thousand years, a Jewish tradition called the Passover meal, which had as its core the idea of sacrificing a lamb and putting the blood on the doorposts and the death angel passing over the Israelites in Egypt before he took them through the Red Sea. And he took it and transformed it into pointing to him as the Lamb of God. And so on that last supper, the day before he was crucified, he gave this, and he said, as I break this bread, it's going to represent my broken body, which is for the forgiveness of all the sins of the world. And he said, this cup, as I pass it around, is going to represent my blood poured out for you. It's the new covenant, the new relationship with God, uh, based on faith in my death on the cross. Now, the weird thing about that, and one of the ways that you know that, God, that Jesus was not just an average man, is that as he told them what this was going to mean, he hadn't been crucified. None of the disciples who heard him say it, or who took it the very first time, knew what was going to happen tomorrow. But Jesus did. On that tomorrow, Jesus wound up crucified for our sins. So it's a living picture of Christ's death on the cross to grant us forgiveness of our sins before God. But it also is participatory. That is to say, you just look at the picture. It invites you to partake. You actually break the bread and place it, you know, receive it. And as you receive the bread and take the cup, you're saying, I want to receive Christ's forgiveness and salvation in my life. 
And so we're going to take part in that today, but I thought I, I wanted to give you some, uh, some thoughts about, about forgiveness, because I think forgiveness is uh, it's diminished. We don't understand the importance of it. Uh, our society is all about rights. We get rights, and uh, we're all about not being judgmental. That would be society's method, uh, message to all of us. But forgiveness is not a theme that you get as, as you watch television or movies or something like that normally. So I'm going to go back and I want, to, I want to go over that with you by looking at a parable, a story that Jesus gave to help us understand the cost of forgiveness and the responsibility of forgiveness. So if you're able, we're going to read out of Matthew 18. If you're able, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word, and Anna Maria is going to read for us. Good morning, church. Today's scripture is from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he said, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And you may be seated. So this starts off with uh, uh, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. And uh, someday God is going to settle accounts. I don't know if you've thought about this, but this is the great tension in the world, much less uh, in the Christian faith. And you've got to hold it carefully. You see, a lot of people today say, well, I don't believe in God because why would he allow all this uh, evil? And so a God would allow all this evil. I and mean, here's, the, here's the situation I want you to get. God is going to settle the accounts of all the evil. He is. There's coming a day. And so that's a valid question because we need God to be two things at once for our sake. We need him to be just and righteous and not just let uh, woundedness, uh, you know, wounding of other people go without, without payment and settlement. There needs to be a judge of the whole universe where nobody gets away with it ultimately. 
And that is something that the Bible says, that God is holy and righteous. He is just, and He will hold us all accountable. But frankly, that's not comforting to me because I'm also guilty. You with me? I want Him to hold everybody else accountable. I'd be happy for Him to burn you guys to a crisp, but I want off. So I need a God who is loving, who cares about me individually. And there's the tension. How does God go about being just and righteous and yet loving? How can, how can you do both? And the answer is in the cross. In the cross, Jesus is just in that he dies for all of the wounds that the people he forgives have committed. He pays the price. Forgiveness is costly. And therefore, he can say, this one I'm forgiving. And if somebody should say, yeah, but that's not fair. He says, uh, oh, it is fair because I paid for all that he did wrong. So, you know, ultimately, life is very simple. You and I have done wrong, and God would like to let us off the hook. And either you can pay for your sins, that's called hell in eternity, or you can accept the free gift of God's grace through Christ so that He pays for your sins and you don't have to. And God can be both just and loving to those who put their faith in, in that cross. It, it's the only thing that answers both things at one time. Now, this picture here, uh, it, it's a story that Jesus tells, and theologians would tell you there, in any parable there's one big point. So here's the big point, just so nobody misses it. The big point is this, that God has forgiven you so much. Now, I know there's, there's a few of us in here that we think we haven't done that much bad. I'm not that bad of a person. I hear this all the time. I just want to say this to you. You have a bad memory. If we could line up the people that you have abused, wrong, lied to, and otherwise, you know, messed up, it would be a long list. And you go, oh, now I remember. Oh, now I remember. You felt that? Oh, oh I'm so sorry. You know, we just go on forever. But I know that all of us are aware that we've done enough wrong. But this, what this is telling us here is that for God to forgive you is such a large amount, even though you've forgetting, forgotten a lot of the things that you've done to others, and forgotten the ways in which you've uh, destroyed God's kingdom and taken it, you know, you, you've come short of the glory that God intended for your life to be. Uh, it, in spite of that, when you bump into somebody who's wronged you, you want to wring them by the neck. You want to hang them from the tree. You want to be angry and malicious and, and resentful for the rest of your life because I'm just not letting them back in. They did me so wrong. And you feel just in doing that. So, you can be a judge without mercy, but you don't want God to be a judge without mercy. Are you with me on this? So this story says one thing. If God forgives you, he expects that you'll do the same for those who wound you. He expects you to pass on a forgiveness that you didn't deserve to those who might not deserve to be forgiven who are in your orbit. That's the big idea that goes on here. Now, the thing that I think gets lost in all this is I don't know that we all understand or comprehend because in our society it's not, it's not taught and, and there's nothing in our society that undergirds this, but forgiveness is costly. You see, you have to, you pay for the sins of others that you choose to forgive. See, we never think about that. We, we think, uh, you know, if somebody forgives somebody, a, you know, 
a boatload of money. Well, who pays for that? We think, well, nobody did. No, no. The person who released the debt had to take a, a hit against their account. So, so let, me, let me make it kind of everyday-ish. So uh, Shirley and I, we were able, by the grace of God, to buy a, a kind of a nice house out in the country. We're on an acre. And uh, so our kids growing up were too far away from school activities to walk to school and back. And, or, you know, they didn't want to ride buses. So at a certain point, we found ourselves driving them everywhere all the time. Any, any hands? Anybody know this one? See, in Clovis, you live in your station wagon or whatever the heck it is, your SUV, your, your whatever. You're getting the kids. So about the time they turned 16 and 17, we thought there's got to be a better way. But it included getting another car that, uh, now who owned the car that I was going to let them drive? I remember turning over, uh, <laughs> I had bought this Ford Ranger brand new, and I bought it on Rodeo Sunday, so it, it had rodeo memories, it was just a delicious little thing. And somewhere along the way, I turned it over to my daughter as her drive-around-town car. You, within, within a month, it looked like somebody had taken a hammer and walked up and down it going, wham, 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 wham. And pretty soon, you couldn't even count the dents and the scratches and the what have you. And it's like, what the heck happened? Oh, it's nothing, Dad. Oh, it's nothing, Dad. So then when she finally, you know, just destroys it, was it her money or my money that paid for it? Anybody with me on this one? Okay, let me give you another. I'm going to admit my sins here, my stupidity. So with my son, at a certain point, he said, look, I've got a job. I can make the payments. Would you help me buy this car? Well, I, you know, you love your son. You want to do this. And he's growing up, and he's, got, he's holding down a job. So I, I co-signed for a car. Anybody done this one? Let me just say one thing. Dave Ramsey would tell you stupid, but I hadn't taken the Dave Ramsey course, so I didn't know. I think I'm trying to be loving. So I co-signed for the car. Well, guess what? He didn't keep the job. Well, guess what? They came after the car. So when they took the car because of lack of payments, somebody had to pay for the car. Who do you think did that? Do you think that might have been my, uh, you know, 20-year-old son? No. So if I was going to live well with my 20-year-old son, I had to forgive him and not be angry at him all the time for leaving me with a $20,000 debt. You pay for the sins that you forgive. See, so if you could get that concept, then what about God? Because when we say, it's, you know, I don't believe in a God that would let all this bad stuff happen in the world. Well, the only reason he hasn't brought the whole thing to a halt is he's hoping some of you will receive the gift of eternal life through the forgiveness provided by his son before he brings the judgment day. Because the only other option is you're going to pay for those sins that you've helped create in this mess that we live in in this world. Someday there will be an accounting, but he is only waiting for the rest of us. And we have no sense of what it cost God in watching his son die on the cross or the heartache of being separated, the father from the son, during that moment when Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus felt the kind of pain that we feel when we think God's a thousand miles away. And he enters into our pain. He is taking our experience into himself. And fortunately, because he's God, he can pay that price. But it costs something to do that. You with me here? 
Uh, let me give you one more, one more example of, of cost. You know, I, I've been a pastor a long time now, and I've seen a lot of guys, they get into their 40s, and they, uh, they, they, you know, they get married and kids, and, and they go to church, and then uh, I'll have them, some, some have the courage to come and talk to me, and some, most don't, they just slink. But they decide that, they, that the 40-year-old that model of what they're now living with is not hot enough. And so they're looking for something more in their 20s. And they trade, I don't know if that's trading down or up, I'm not sure how you count that, but it's down in years. And they exit, and if, if they had the courage to talk to me, they would say, yes, but I'm in love now. And I'm thinking, who's paying for what you're doing now that you're in love? Well, if you're the, if you're the wife that's left behind, and usually the kids go with that, it's almost a guarantee that you're going to move toward poverty, if not into poverty, uh, when that kind of thing happens. So the guy doesn't, he, he's not paying it, and he's left a mess for others to live with for the rest of their life. Let me, ask, let me just take, take it out of the financial realm. So who, who pays for the fact that those kids don't have a father in the home loving and guiding them and seeing everything so they can test their spirit on a regular basis? Who pays for that brokenhearted or that fatherless heart inside the child, whether it's a, a girl or a boy? The kids do. It's burned into them. It affects them for the rest of their life. You see the expense? So if somebody were going to say, well, we're just going to forgive it, well, who's paying for that? By the way, when I uh, turned 40, I, I had a conversation with my wife, and we were sort of joking, sort of, but... Uh, you know, I said, uh, you know, now that uh, you're 40, honey, uh, I was thinking about uh, trading you in and getting two 20-year-olds. And uh, she said, true, true story, she said, Steve, you're not wired for 220. You'll be burned up. You don't have it in you, you might as well stick around. Best decision, one of the better decisions I've ever made. But what I want you to see is we... Once you realize that it is costly to God to allow you to wound and break his creation, it breaks his heart, and he has sent his son to take on the, the, all the pain, the pain we have felt and the pain others have felt in lieu of sin. And if he forgives you that much, he at least expects you to forgive others. So it's one thing to talk about, you know, from this perspective of receiving God's forgiveness that I could never earn or deserve. What a wonderful thing. But then this story points out how it turns when somebody owes us something. By the way, in the story, I tried to look it up what equivalent monies would be because Jesus tells this story in money terms. The, the first guy is forgiven approximately just under $4 million, trying to make equivalency to what it would have been for their days. And the guy he runs into that he can't forgive owes him a hundred bucks. And that's how God sees it. The vastness of how many ways we've let him down in his creation is not what it ought to be under our uh, stewardship. And then we run into somebody who's hurt us and we just want to choke, choke the life out of them. And we send them, in this case, he sends them to a debtor's prison, which I've never understood. The guy can't pay you now, so you're going to send him to prison till he pays you back. Now, how exactly do you get paid back if you're in prison? What you've done now is you've just you've taken poor people and you put them in an untenable situation for the rest of their life. You, you just can't get it back. But I think we can relate in some ways better to having been wounded 
than having been the one, uh, you know, doing the forgiving. Uh, at least I think. Have you ever been on the wounded end of someone else's actions so that your heart is filled with resentment and anger and frustration? And then uh, if you've, some of the situations that I just gave you, and of course there's a gazillion like that, and you're left with a life circumstance that is unalterably different because of someone else's choice. Whether it's fancy big-time bankers in New York City or somebody you're married to or, somebody, or, or just somebody you work with. I mean, it, there's, this happens all the time. And when somebody wounds me, that's when it's, the test comes. Because then I feel what the cost of forgiveness would be, and I don't want to let them off the hook. In fact... I might say something like this. It wouldn't be, it's not fair to let them off the hook based on what they did to me. And there's the point. God is trying to say to us, of course it's not fair. My forgiveness of you isn't fair. It's based on love. And I, I want you now to take the undeserved forgiveness I gave you and I want you to pass it on. But this guy can't do it. And so he holds this person and throws him in debtor's prison and did you notice what happened in the story? Jesus is so smart. The subtleties of his insights about human nature are fantastic. He says, other servants saw this, and the other servant said, it's not fair. It's not fair that you were forgiven, and now you're not forgiving. By the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It's one of the reasons the cross is important. At the end of time, when people are condemned for sins they didn't choose to take to the cross... You know what they're going to say to God? They're going to say, it's not fair that you should judge me and let Steve Davidson off. And in sort of they'll be right, except for he'll be able to say, oh no, I paid for all of Steve Davidson. I, I bore it in my body on the cross. The question here is, who's going to pay for your sins? See, we feel the unfairness. And in the story, he has other people speaking out. That's not fair that you let him get away with it. And then it says that the judge is going to be the judge, and this guy winds up in prison. And it says that God's going to treat us like that. Now, let me, let me try to explain that. I don't think it's a matter that God, that's, I don't want you to get a one-to-one. -one. This is not a one-to-one. -one. This is a story with one big picture, and God knows how people are in real life, and that's what will happen in real life. Here's what Jesus is pointing to. If you hold on to your resentment of other people while receiving the grace of God, you're going to be drinking poison hoping they'll get sick. The torment will be in your soul. Are you with me on this? It breaks our relationships when we're hanging on to resentments and bitterness. See, you're going to live with the consequences of other people's sin in your life. The only question is whether you're going to live in bitterness, or whether you're going to give both your sins and the sins that come into your life to Christ on the cross. I'll just give you one last example. I remember one time there's one guy, well, since I've been at this church, and he had done something that I mean it really messed with me and my family, and uh, he hurt. I mean, what, what happened hurt deeply. And I was having a hard, I mean, I wanted I was angry and frustrated, and uh, anybody ever have, like, revenge fantasies? I'm, I'm serious. I, I think we do more of this than, but I'll just admit, I have, I have had revenge fantasies. 
When I was a younger kid, when bullies beat me up, I had to have revenge fantasies because I could not beat them up. But in my mind, I could dream I could. But in this situation, you know, a lot of times you're, you're dreaming how you're going to get back. And that's just so unhealthy. And I remember I was driving one day and I was rehearsing this anger, just stuck in it. And God just spoke to me. And I didn't, you know, it's not like you hear God. He just, he just goes right through and he puts these thoughts in your mind. And he said, you know, you're going to have to forgive that person. And I remember starting to cry when I came to grips with how much. See, anger is a cheap protection against the hurt on the inside. And I had to release my anger and then bring my hurt to God. I was crying so bad I had to pull off the side of the road because I couldn't see where I was driving. As I just did business with God, telling God how much it hurt and giving Him my pain and letting Him take it to the cross and take it out of my heart. What a freedom that is. But it's a hard step. We get it. Now, what we're going to look at here today is I'm going to invite you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. His body is broken for me. And in just a minute, uh, I'm going to invite the band and those who are going to serve the elements. You guys want to come on up. And band, you guys could come on out. They're going to lead us as we're uh, receiving. I'm going to ask you to come up and receive one of the wafers and one of the little uh, deals of juice. Now, we're doing wafers now, just so everybody knows. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a flu season issue. You know, we used, we used to, in Clovis Hills, we'd tear off parts of like a loaf of bread, but there were people who were concerned about who spit on the bread last before they got to it. So a wafer means it's only your spit. You get the idea? So you're going to take a wafer, which is more like, uh, if you've been in a Catholic or, or Episcopal background, you'll be very comfortable with this. One guy thanked me uh, because he's from that kind of background. And then he informed me, because I didn't know, this is, I thought this was a very deep insight. He said, Episcopals are Catholics who flunk Latin. I thought, that's not bad. Now, I want to say this. Catholics and Episcopals and Lutherans and many others, they do the Lord's Supper weekly. And I want you to know, I have no problem with those organizations or that they do it weekly. We, we as Clovis Hills, we don't think we're smarter. That's a wonderful way to do it. We, we do it quarterly for this one reason. Anything that I do all the time, I eventually do without thinking. Are you with me? I can brush my teeth and be planning my day. And I'm afraid that something that you tack on as a five-minute piece of some worship service could at times become mundane and your heart not be really in it. So we try to make it a centerpiece. Now, having said that, I want, I want to invite you in a minute to come forward Receive the elements and go back, and if you don't mind holding them, I would like to guide you through taking the elements. And, and, and here's why. Here's, here's what I would like to do. Now, you're going to have a loaf, not this. But I'm going to ask you, just before we take it together, to break the loaf, just like Jesus broke the bread, as a statement that it was my sin that broke his body on the tree. It wasn't everybody else's sin. It was my sin. I'm the sinner who broke God's heart with the way I've lived. You're admitting I'm a sinner and I want your salvation. So I want us to break it, and we'll do that together. And then as we take it, I want that to be almost a wordless prayer saying, Lord, come into my life again. It's a vow renewal. 
It's bringing up to date what we started with Jesus. A relationship that's based all on His goodness and all on His sacrifice, and all we do is receive it with empty hands. So I'm going to invite you to come forward, receive the elements, go back, and then uh, I'll guide us through one at a time. The song that the team's going to lead us while we're doing this is, I think, spot on perfect. So this is your time. Come forward, receive the elements, and I'll come back in a minute. Amen. Boy, that's beautiful. So let me guide us. First off, I'll hold this in lieu of what you guys are holding. We're going to break this in a minute. And let's let it be from the heart. God, I know I broke your heart. Thank you for loving me in spite of that. So the breaking in is an, is an admission of guilt, that I'm a sinner. The receiving, which will, I want you to do immediately, is the, at the request, Lord, I want Christ in my life. I accept your death on the cross by faith that I can never deserve. I accept it. Now, if you've never done this before, I invite this to be your first prayer of salvation, a wordless prayer. You know what that means. I've broken your heart, and I admit it. I've wounded those around me, and I want to be saved. Let's take it. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your very best. We can never deserve it. We can't earn it. But you loved us and you invite us to live with you forever. Thank you, dear God, for this provision. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you haven't already, please break your bread and partake. And then after, cup, after supper, it says that Jesus took the cup and said, this is now my blood given for you. It's the new covenant in my blood, the new relationship between God and man. And we're going to, again, we're going to drink it, receiving the full forgiveness of Christ, asking his Holy Spirit to come into our life and begin to change us from the inside out. Before we do this, I just want to ask those of you who've been in the faith for some time, I want to ask you, is there anyone that you're still holding on to resentment about? that you haven't forgiven from the heart. I don't know if you knew this, but you don't have to talk to them to forgive them. It's not between you and them. They don't even know you're mad, probably. It's between you and God. You see, but if I forgive them, why should I let them off the hook? They won't be off God's hook. You're just getting them off your hook. So if there is, just before you sip this, I just want you to cry out to God from the heart. Rehearse the hurt if you need to, and then give the pain to Christ on the cross and let it go. Jesus, I thank you that in the garden you wrestled with your will versus God's will, and you prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, we pray that now for everyone who wrestles still with unforgiveness in their heart. Grant us Lord, with your help, to both receive your salvation 
to let go of others and to let the fullness of the Spirit flow in us. In Jesus' name, amen, and you may partake. Amen. Sean's going to come up in a minute, and he's going to kind of close this out, but uh, I want the band to sing one more time, and I just thought this is such a holy moment. By the way, if you've never prayed that prayer, or you, whatever, come down and tell Sean or I. Let us know. Let us give you a light bulb. But I want all of us to worship the Lord. So why don't you stand as we sing that one more stanza of this beautiful, beautiful hymn.